Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today is my colleague, Mr. Tim Perkins. Hi, Dan. How are you today? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm extremely well. I've just had a lovely opportunity to interview and have a really good chat with the world's greatest all-rounder. I know you might disagree about this slightly mm-hmm. because there's some Englishman who you might think might hold that mantle, but I'm here to say that Patrick Cummins really is a superb all-rounder. Number one test cricket bowler in the world. Got anything to say about that, Mr Hazlitt? Well, how did he go against Stokesy last year, oh, eh? Well. Oh, 180-odd or whatever he got to win he, the test match. I don't think he hit them all off Patrick Cummins. <laughs> Most uh, of them. I'll let Pat Cummins know, the six-foot-four, very fast <laughs> and furious young man that he is, that it's you right. think that Ben Stokes well, might have the wood on him. Oh, I, don't, I don't think it, mate. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you what a joy it is working with an Englishman? <laughs> For those of you not lucky enough to work with an Englishman, oh, dear. Oh dear. Anyway, so what was he hanging out with you for, anyway? <laughs> he was asked for some bowling advice. <laughs> was, he really? was he really? Yeah, I, I suggested to him that maybe he was a left-hander. <laughs> <laughs> or a spinner. Anyway, no, we had a great chat and um, it was incredibly generous of him to give his time, but it's mm. the sort of guy that he is. I mean, mm. I don't know much about your man, Ben Stokes, but I reckon he's... I don't know how polite he is. I bet he'd be really polite. I bet he'd be really yeah. polite too. Yeah. I hope he's really polite when Pat Cummins bowls him <laughs> this weekend when they're <laughs> playing. Um, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, Pat Cummins. So, it, it, you know, he's a very interesting guy to talk to because... Pat Cummins, as you'll hear in the interview, had a very um, difficult start to his international career in that he uh, had to show a lot of resilience, had a lot of injuries very early and his career was put on hold. But um, as he said to me in the interview, you know, he spent more time with the, the physios and the medical staff than he did with any of the playing staff mm. for a long time. So, uh, yeah, we talk a lot about resilience and we talk about integrity. He, um, you know, we talked about the sandpaper gate situation, some questions he chose to answer and some he chose not to. And then we talked a lot about leadership and um, the sort of skills that make a really good leader and... uh, and certainly he seems to fit into that mould quite nicely. So Beautiful. Yeah, good yeah. chat. So resilience, integrity and leadership. It's probably some good habits there for, for leaders. Yeah. So um, why don't we jump into the chat and see, see what he had to say. Excellent. All righty. So I want to start with a quote for you um, from uh, Harsha Bogle. Um, for those people who are listening who don't know who Harsha Bogle is, uh, and Pat, jump in if I get this wrong in any way, but he's, a, he's an Indian cricket commentator. Um, He's a beautiful man, highly respected. He's, um, he's sort of the voice of summer in Australia and probably in England and certainly in India. Have I got it basically right there, Pat? Yeah, yeah. Uh, depends what the quote is. I'm happy to pump up his tyres or tear go. him down, depending on the quote. Yeah, it's not about you, so it's all right. Um, so he says, we go through difficult phases in life, but you ride the difficult times in search of the better times thereafter. You don't give up in the difficult times. Test cricket is exactly like that. If the bowlers are doing well, you respect the bowler and say, I know it's your time at the moment, but it won't be your time forever. And that's just a nice quote from him from the the, the TV series, The Test, that you feature in, um, talking about resilience and life. Um, Resilience is a word that's thrown around a lot these days. What What does it mean to you, Pat? 
Yeah, I love that quote. Um, for me, resilience is, um, I, I guess, the way I look at improvement or, or um, trying to get better, setbacks, there's never a real end goal, I think. Um, yeah, for me, every day is about trying to wake up and get better, um, whatever's in front of me. So when it comes back to when it comes to setbacks um, or resilience, I think it's first of all probably accepting what's happened, um, and then really trying to change the narrative quickly to how can I grow from this um, experience and, and come back stronger. So um, yeah, I guess the obvious one in cricket is is either losses or injuries. Um, but yeah, it's something everyone obviously faces every day in life. So that's, that's really interesting there. I imagine you guys as elite sportsmen are doing a lot of work around mindset and you sort of define mindset in lots of ways there, you know, just accepting the way things are and then, you know, choosing how you're going to respond to that um, with a desire, you know, to improve and get better each day. You've had some really good opportunities to explore resilience, Pat, you know, through losses and um, in particular, because I know they can really sting and potentially, you know, particularly when you're a a fast bowler and you can make a big difference to a game on those occasions where you haven't been able to, um, but more particularly in relation to injuries. So uh, a lot of people will probably know that you first played for Australia when you were 18, um, yep. uh, which, which is very young for a fast bowler and you did incredibly well, um, uh, incredibly well. And then you didn't play another game for nearly five years. Um, can you tell us a bit about how resilience has had to show up? Because it's one thing to talk about it objectively. It's another thing to put it into practice. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's, it's something I've, I've done better at sometimes and, and worse at others. I think the hardest thing about um, yeah, setbacks, um, say either a loss or, or an injury, is you're feeling like that was your one opportunity that you've, you've lost and you'll never get that chance again. And you get that in big grand finals or, um, you know, Ashes test matches or, or things like that. Um, and the same with injuries. Um, the, the first thing that happened, I, I, I debuted and then, yeah, smashed my heel to bits basically during that test match and missed the next 12 months. And for me, uh, that was my first home summer that I'd missed. I felt like I was in the team. I'd done, um, I guess, all the legwork to get into the side. Um, and and now that was taken away, so I felt like I'd I'd maybe gone down the rung a little bit. I'd lost time and opportunity. Um, and I, I guess after the first year, you can kind of take that. You, you know, it's normal. But after year three, four, five, um, it gets harder and harder as you lose more time. Um, yeah, I, I guess in in some ways, um, yeah. Whilst it got harder, I also improved how I went about it. I um, it, it was most of my injuries were stress fractures, which are okay. You're going to have four months off bowling, three or four months building up, and it's quite a regimented um, schedule. So by the second or third one, I could get my head around that. It really start to, I guess, accept it, and then start building. Um, I, I guess that time frame back um, within cricket, but then look, you know, even more importantly, outside of cricket, what's going to get me up in the morning? Um, what are my interests outside of cricket? Um, who am I as a person? Re really not let the, that injury define me. Um, and, and I felt like the, the longer that's gone on, the, the better I got at it. Yeah. So I imagine now, I think you're 27, is that right? Yep. 
And I imagine at 17 or 18, you know, I've got kids who are 17 and 19 now, you know, um, the idea of them managing themselves on the world stage for a start uh, and how to carry themselves in that environment, but then also um, how to deal with the sort of setbacks that now you've got 10 years of experience of saying, okay, I'm better at this now. What sort of guidance and support were you given as a young fellow? What sort of areas did that come from to help you through, um, first of all, navigating such a dog-eat-dog, tough environment, but secondly, through the, the difficulty of injuries? Yeah, it's, uh, that, that stage in anyone's career, I think, is a, a tough stage, whether you're, you're going well or you're injured. Because um, at the same time as trying to forge a cricket career, really, that's when I'm doing all my growing up. I just left school. Yeah. Um, yeah, got to move out of home. You're spending time um, overseas and interstate, new new friendship groups, um, new responsibilities. So it's I look back at it and I feel really lucky to have um, and have had so many great people around me. I think you know the main people I'd say one is you know parents, family, close friends that I were friends with before cricket. Um, just knowing I, they had my full support and, um, you know, doing some, some things like, uh, you know, I did university during that time and that event, uh, I guess, took my mind off cricket in some ways, but, but probably more than anything, it kept my connection with my, my school friends who were um, you know, 18, 19 year olds as well and were going through similar things. So I had this outlet totally away from cricket, um, which took the pressure off it. Um, and then great mentors and, and people within cricket that um, no, couldn't have been better, you know, um, making sure I was – or encouraging me to be patient, um, making sure I knew the end goal, I was going to be okay, just like so many other guys before me. Um, but, yeah, the hardest thing is balancing that to an eager, keen, impatient youngster who, who just feels like he's wasting time in his career. Um, yeah. So – yeah, I look back at it and I really enjoyed those years. Um, mainly, though, my first years as being a professional cricketer, even though I didn't play too often. But now I look back and reflect on it. There were definitely some, some tough moments, um, more, more probably just frustrating moments where I felt like I was, I was ready for international cricket and everything about it. My body just wasn't ready. Yeah. I heard at one stage that you were saying you'd like to swap uh, bodies um, with a couple of other uh, fast bowlers in the team at different times. I'm presuming that's just so uh, you had a body that actually did what you wanted it to do. <laughs> Rather yeah, than yeah. having a man crush on Mitchell Stark, for example. <laughs> yeah, not aesthetically. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, can you tell us someone, Pat, if you're comfortable with it, tell us someone who in those very early years from the cricketing world who was a really great levelling influence on you? Well, the people I, I spent more time or the most time around were, was probably the medical staff, to be honest. Um, most of my injuries coincided with the, the home summer back here in cricket. So whilst all the coaches were out there playing and training, um, I was doing a lot of my rehab work. So um, I'm not sure I've really spoke about it before, but the, the, our New South Wales physio at the time was Murray Ryan and our strength and conditioning coach was... Um, was Paul Chapman and they, they were great um, they were basically my only contacts in cricket for a lot of that time and um, they kept me motivated um, they they were the ones I, I got out of bed in the morning excited to go into training um, 
mainly just because they were great people. Um, you know, Paul Chapman, as much as the gym sessions were, were important and good, it was just chatting about, um, I don't know, life, things outside of cricket that I really enjoyed. Um, so he had a huge influence on me. I think if the the human element of the trainer or the physio or, um, you know, the coaches weren't there, there's no way I would have enjoyed my time and, and been as motivated um, to get through those injuries as I was. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting response. You probably could tell that I was hoping you'd say something like Ricky Ponting or, or somebody that we all knew <laughs> uh, in the sense that you're saying, yeah, he's a great stabilising influence. But I actually think your, int- your answer is so much more interesting uh, and also symptomatic of the fact that you clearly spent a lot of time on the sidelines but the guys that having the biggest influence on you with the medical crew. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, because, you know, someone like um, Dennis Lilly, I've got a great relationship with and, and he really helped me um, to get back. Um, when I got back in, in around the team, Joshy Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, great influences. But for the 95% of the work, it's boring um, going to gym in the morning, doing physio work, doing Pilates. Um, every single day of the week for, for months on end, which isn't as glamorous as, as being out there in front of a crowd. But um, yeah, they're the days where you probably need that nudge, nudge along. Um, and those, those guys around me were great. Yeah. Because I imagine your body, you know, at 18 years old, if I think about my own boys, your body's not fully formed yet and you're putting it under huge stress. I actually heard somewhere that for fast bowlers, I don't know if this is correct, for fast bowlers, you're putting yourself under 12 times your body weight of pressure when you actually uh, deliver a ball? Yeah, that's it. Um, over our, our front leg, and I think it's maybe six or eight times on our back leg, um, and it changes bowler to bowler. But yeah. yeah, if you think you're, you know, 90-odd kilos, that's over a tonne of weight going through your knees and your um, ankles and your lower back every single ball. And you're hoping to do that, you know, 120 times in a day. And um, here in Australia, especially, the, the pitches are really hard. Um, even speaking to after a test match, just some of the um, the English bowlers or, or New Zealand bowlers, they're always like, geez, the wickets here are a lot harder. Waking up so much sore than, than even playing overseas. So it's just such an unnatural thing to do as a well, as anyone, let alone a, a pretty wiry, um, you know, weak 18, 19-year-old trying to bowl speed of light. Yeah. Interesting. So there's a lot of work being done on resilience by academics and looking at um, a couple of aspects that get in the way of people being resilient. So they talk about the three P's of personalising, saying that it's either your fault or it's only happening to you. The idea of pervasiveness, that it, it, it goes, it eats away into all aspects of your life. And the idea of permanence, the idea that this is always going to be the way it is. Um, do they resonate with you, those sort of three P's, personalising, pervasiveness uh, and permanence? And, and how have you dealt with that? Yeah, that, that's that's what I, I've never heard that before, but 100% felt felt all those three things. Um, I think it's really important when something happens. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in that you can you're really in control of um, I guess the story you tell yourself. So you, you've got to accept that it's happened. There's not much you can do about it, and then it's it's the story you tell yourself. So whether it's um, you know, I can't believe this happened to me. How unlucky am I? Um, or you could go, well, this has happened. What opportunity does it pre- prevent uh, or present itself? You know, how can I get better? How can I take control of this situation and try and improve? Um, that, that's a big one. Um, as you said, 
encompassing your whole life. I, I needed them, some things outside of life. Um, as much to take the pressure of, you know, being a cricketer, um, but even more so is um, you know, spending my whole life as a cricketer 24 hours a day is it's pretty boring. Um, I feel like I need to learn in different areas and spend time with other people um, just to, yeah, I just find it interesting. So, um, yeah, that was really important. And I was lucky, as I said, um, in terms of the this is me forever, I was lucky I, I had people that had gone through a similar thing before me and they, um, you know, constantly reminded me of that. Um, you know, Brett Lee, Mitchell Johnson, their, the start of their careers were really, you know, really closely mir- mirrored what, I'd, what I was going through. So knowing that they'll play till their mid-30s gave me the confidence. Yeah. It sounds like one of the other things that we could add in there as a mitigating factor is perspective. Um, and it sounds like you got that really well as a natural thing, maybe that you've grown up with, but also from other people who've trodden the path, which helped you move out of that sort of potentially self-pitying and downward spiral. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, I, I don't know where it comes from. I'm, you know, maybe my parents, but um, yeah, th- those those couple of years, um, you know, 18, 19 year old, even 17-year-old playing for New South Wales. My, my over, um, overarching thought during those years was I still can't believe I'm a professional cricketer. Um, I was lining up for the HSC, had no idea that I was going to be a professional cricketer within a couple of months. So um, I'm glad I, I hung on to that. Um, yeah, as much as I did in those, those couple of years. And yeah, whilst I, I wasn't playing in a test match, still waking up and going to train at the SCG with some of the best cricketers in the world. Um, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I bet you did. Um, if we move on from resilience, Pat, and just talk a little bit about um, the, the episode that all cricket fans and maybe all Australians know about and know as Sandpaper Gate, um, the, the cheating incident that happened in South Africa. Um, can I just ask you, peripheral to that, um, can you tell me about your thoughts on integrity and leadership? So not leadership, because I know a lot of people are suggesting that you should become the captain of the Australian team, and I, I really, uh, let's put that aside for the moment, but more just your personal thoughts around integrity and leadership and, and how a high-pressure environment uh, can make people waver. Yeah, Something, I mean, up until that incident, I, if I was going to be really honest, I'd never really thought about, um, yeah, leadership or um, even in some respects, really, really defined um, you know, who I am as a person, what I stand for. So I, I think what I've learned over those couple of years and, and everyone in the cricket, you know, I guess circle has learned and had to learn is um, you really, really got to be um, totally... Um, clear on, on who you are and, and what you stand for and um, how you want to live your life. And you, you can't be, un, you have to be unwavering in that um, no matter what the situation. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the first point I'd say in the, the little bit, um, I guess, of leadership experience I've had um, is you've got to be really strong as, as a person in, in what you stand for um, and, and that really defines your leadership style. And, um, yeah, I, I don't want to profess to be a leadership expert. I'm, I'm really new to it all. Um, but, 
yeah, I find that 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 makes a lot of decision making really easy if, if you're um, clear clear on who you are. Do you feel that? Um, obviously, you know, you're starting to describe some of the things that you feel like you've learned there, which you can apply to leadership in your life in whatever capacity that is further down the track. Um, do you think that Sandpaper Gate, if if we're going to call it that, was ultimately good for Australian cricket? Ah. Uh, I'm not sure I'd go as far to say it's, it was good, um, but it certainly gave us um, pause. It gave us time to reflect on things that we hadn't for a while. Um, and, you know, what an incredible learning experience for everyone, um, you know, not just in a cricketing sense, but for life. Um, so I'm, I'm sure, I know I'm, I guess, long-term, um, it's really helped, I guess, create who I am today um, just from, being in the pressure cooker for you know 12 months after that and, and having everything about you I, I guess questioned um so yeah I'm, I'm not sure it'd be a good thing but but for sure we've come out the other side um with so much more experience and um yeah certainty of, of I guess how we want to play and how we want to live our lives outside of cricket yeah, it must be very interesting. You're in a very, I mean, through watching the test, uh, which I was recommended to do before um, speaking to you, obviously it's a huge pressure cooker environment where really um, that level of high-performance sport is pretty exclusively about winning. Tell, tell us about the sort of compromises that that can, you know, bring into the equation and how problematic that can be. Yeah, I mean, that's the nature of professional sport and um, it's something you've got to accept. And it, it's great that we have um, a million people tuning in every time we play. Um, but, yeah, with that comes a responsibility to try and be at a really high standard every single day. So um, I'd say that the biggest challenge I've found in the last couple of years, um, and maybe this is during a phase where we're trying to rebuild and um, you know, we've got a, new, a lot of new players who are coming to the mix and we've had some, some great players retire, is um, trying to balance, I guess, long-term goals with short-term goals. Um, you've almost got to accept that the game you're playing the next day or um, you know, the next series isn't going to be perfect. Um, and you've got to be willing to innovate and try new things um, at, um, in the hope that in, in the long, it'll set you up long-term. Um, but, but knowing that the short-term results are going to be um, a little bit, um, yeah, not as good, you've got to be so strong in yourself that that's okay and accept that. Um, and I find that really hard in professional sport, um, you know, accepting if you're going to rest players or try new combinations or, um, try new tactics. Even if the results aren't there straight away, you've got to be really headstrong um, to judge it over you know a longer course than just a series. Um, and yeah, be, being really clear, I think Jay was you know brought this in really well. Being really clear on how we want to play um, and defining our successes by um, yeah not only results but you know the the love of the game that um, you know the fans are showing towards us. So you bring up JL there, which is interesting. So for those uh, uninitiated, that's Justin Langer, who's the Australian cricket coach, who was the replacement coach after the, the coach during the sandpaper situation was, uh, or he resigned. Um, 
Langer, he's a very intense guy, obviously, from what, um, you know, certainly you see a lot of that in the series and, you know, you guys make a lot of uh, fun of him for not smiling very often. Um, with that level of intensity um, and balanced against what, you know, the, difficulty, the difficult situation you were all put in with the Sandpaper Gate situation, has it emboldened you to speak up a bit more when you don't like what's going on? Because he's... He, he appears a very full-on character and people are unlikely to jump in and interrupt him and say, no, I don't agree with that, J.L. Yeah. I mean, he can be intense at times, but he is, um, he, he is a continual improver, um, someone who wants to better himself. And, and for that, he really tries to encourage, you know, honest, honesty and um, um, encouraging, you know, a different array of ideas and, empowering everyone to speak so um you know i hope everyone feels comfortable that they can speak up if they're if they're not um you know totally agreeing with something or, or have a different opinion um yeah for me yeah there's certainly times where i feel like um yeah pro probably more so because i'm i guess in a slightly more formal role as a vice captain but but also um you know in some ways one of the more experienced guys in the team now um yeah, there's things that you feel like you have to speak up about. Um, we spend so much time on the road. It's you know, 10, 11 months of the year. So mm. in a lot of ways, uh, cricket is our um, is a massive part of our life. So if there's things that you, know, you think you need to um, fix or things you can improve on, um, you have to do it or else you live such a huge part of your life. Um, yeah, feeling like you, you could have made a difference um, but, but you, you didn't take that opportunity. So um, I, I think, you know, the environment around the team the last you know, little bit has been great. Tim Payne, um, you know, in the test side and, and Finchie in the, in the white ball sides have been great as well. They're, they're really collaborative leaders, um, you know, great relationships with their teammates and, and the staff. And um, yeah, it's been really good to be around. I'm going to throw some names to you um, and I want you to tell me what they've got in common. Yep. Cody Walsh, Bob Willis, Richard Hadley, Freddie, Freddie Flintoff. Uh, they're all great bowlers. Um, I don't know. Uh, were they leaders? Did they captain as bowlers? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I've been uh, led to believe by some of my sources in preparation for this. Okay. So they're all fast bowlers who captain their sides at various times. And uh, Freddie apparently was said that it was the worst job he ever had. Uh, I don't know if that, <laughs> if that was an ongoing theme for him or just a one-off statement that he made, maybe after a loss. Um, what are your... You know, people are talking about you as the potential captain and I've got a, I've got a kind of long-winded and tricky question for you. Okay. Hit me. Hit <laughs> you. Um, fast bowlers uh, are very single-minded. They're working incredibly hard. They're sprinting in, as you said, enormous pressure on their bodies. They're physically spent if they're doing their job really, really well. Um, and then when they're not doing that, they're actually usually fielding on the boundary. Do you feel that um, fast bowlers can be the best captains? And I suppose the other question, the other part of it is, because I know you're slightly ambivalent around this idea of being the captain, but um, the other aspect of it is, do you think that people really want you to be the captain because of your personal characteristics more than necessarily because it's 
you're in the best position to captain the team? Uh, I'd say the, the second part of that question is, um, I'd hope so. Um, and history normally, you, you, you normally, by the time you kind of got rid of some of the players who um, maybe aren't in the side every single game, um, which a lot of the time may be fast bowlers, um, you're probably only left with a few options. So I hope from those few options, yeah, the choice has always been made just for the the, the best equipped and the um, you know, the best character to, to lead the team forward. Um, the first part of the question is, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I find a lot of the, the, I guess, critics against the fast bowler being captain um, almost unanimously uh, are batters um, who, who think the, the bowlers aren't... Um, it's just a role they can't do. So um, I, I, I find it interesting sometimes. But, I mean, fielding on the boundary, that's an easy fix. Um, you just... Yeah, spend spend most of my time in the ring anyway. Um, in terms of um, being physically spent, that's that, that's probably the biggest hurdle. Um, I know in Australia we can get some forty-five degree days, um, trying to bowl twenty odd overs in the day. Um, yeah, that that's a bit of a hurdle. But I mean, you, you're not you're not out there by yourself. It's a team sport. You've got some great um, experience around you that you'd bounce off. Um, whether you're a batter or a bowler, um, so I think I think that's you know easily overcome. And then in terms of, I guess being single-minded bowling, um, I think most really good captains empower that bowler to think for themselves and and take charge of their own, um, I guess bowling and um, their own spells. So I, I don't think any of them are huge hurdles to overcome. Um, but again, I've, I've got no experience really in this field. Um, so uh, I'm sure there'd be other aspects that you hadn't even thought about um, or I hadn't even thought about that if I was ever in that position would come up. But, um, yeah, fortunately I'm vice-captain at the moment. Well, just so we're clear on this, you know, I'd be a fan of it. But um, I, And maybe the ambivalence that I'd heard about you becoming captain uh, is becoming less ambivalent because I think you've got some pretty good counter-arguments there. And as, as you say, it's batsmen maybe that are saying that fast bowlers uh, wouldn't make such great... Uh, captains um a lot of people talk these days about leadership being an attitude rather than a title have, have you got thoughts on that yeah i've not really heard that but yeah, I, I agree with that um you know in, in even a cricket team um such as ours you, you might have a couple of formal roles of leaders but everyone's really is a leader in our team um you know when they go back to their state to their best players in their states cricket um they you know, we've got some incredible experience in our side. Um, a lot of them are state captains themselves. Everyone leads in their own way. Um, but, yeah, more than words, it's, it's the way you go about it. It's your, um, your mindset to, to encourage others, um, to, to show them through your actions um, and your attitudes that, um, yeah, I guess empowering others, um, I guess, is the overarching um, theme I'm trying to, get across, you know, in a cricket team, it really is a, an individual sport in so many ways um, within a framework of a team. So um, you're not really corralling your, your players. You're trying to empower them that when they get that moment, they're, they're the best um, they can be. So, um, yeah, that's not necessarily done by having a title. That's by leading from the front. 
um, giving them the confidence and the permission to, to play their own way and um, take control of, their, of what they want to do. That confidence and control is interesting because, again, if we can go back to the test, there was a section during the One Day World Cup where um, it appeared that Langer was a bit frustrated with what was going on after a couple of games. And so he decided on a more distributed leadership, more relaxed approach. Is it, is it your, what, what are your views on the idea of really supporting people to, to bring out their talents as opposed to the idea that, you know, very high performers like yourself and everyone else in the team is perhaps feeling too much pressure to succeed. And I think we saw that with Aaron Finch when he just got duck after duck, when he's such a talented player, but he, it maybe got on top of him the pressure to succeed. Yeah, it's, everyone's got so much you know, professional pride and um, yeah, responsibility and, and outward pressure on, on doing well. So I think that the more you can take that, um, I guess, pressure off the, each other, um, yeah, the, the better. Everyone, you don't need to tell anyone to... You, you don't need to create more pressure for people. Everyone wants to do well. Everyone knows they've got to perform. Um, and just about everyone when they have their best day out, you ask them, oh, you know, how are you feeling? And they go, oh, it's just really relaxed today or my mind was elsewhere. I was, um, I was just in the zone. Um, so just trying to foster that. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're, you know, in, in the Australian team, we're talking about players who are at the top of their game. They've, they've done really well in state cricket or international cricket before um, to get where they are. They know what makes themselves tick. So, um as fellow players and as coaches, you just want to facilitate um, that learning and that, that um, you know, help, help everyone to be at their best when, it, when, the, time, um, when the time comes. But um, yeah, 90, 99% of it has to be as you as a player um, taking control of, of what, how you want to, I guess, play and how you want to improve. Yeah. So being ranted and raved at after a failure of some description is probably counterproductive. Um, can I put two, two more quick quotes to you? There was a, a book, I don't know if you've um, read the book by uh, James Kerr called Legacy about the All Blacks. And he makes the point that better men make better All Blacks. Uh, and similarly, uh, Brian Cook, who was the CEO of the Geelong Cats AFL Club, um, was renowned for saying character first, talent second. Have you got views on that in relation to, you know, one day being involved in helping select a test team, potentially, or a one-day team. Obviously, everyone who's turning up, they've all got the talent. They've all got the ability. So we can say there's a baseline of that. But have, have you got views on this idea of, you know, better men make better Australian cricketers and character first, talent second? Yeah, I, I think at the elite level, um, those are the things that sets um, individuals and teams apart um, from, from being really good to that great. I think it's so important um, from a personal uh, well, from a um, human element. We only spend a portion of our lives as professionals, you know, athletes. Yeah. You've got, you know, if you're lucky, you might get into your mid thirties as a cricketer. You've got another 60, 70 years of your life to live. Um, so it's really important that you, you're, you're well equipped outside of cricket. Um, and it's, it's really easy to be, um, put everything into cricket, be really distracted um, and, and finish your career a little bit lost. Um, 
but pro- probably more so from the mindset um, and performance um, piece. I found I find it so beneficial to to have a strong character, to have really good relationships, have really good interests outside of cricket. Um, it's it's amazing how if you know that you're going to be okay to fail, um, and you're still going to have people that that love you, you're still going to have things outside of cricket. Um, it's amazing how stress alleviating that can be and yeah. and that's normally when you perform your best so um yeah hugely important it, it's amazing how just one or two you know slip ups or, or poor characters can can bring down a whole side and it's amazing you know, people of equally equal talent um those who are really you know have strong character really great around the team how they can build up a whole team yeah one of the things that I was really interested in with the test was the quirky characters in your team. Adam Zampa. Adam Zampa, what a character. Yeah, he's a beauty, Zamps. He's, um, he's a lot of fun. Um, I, that's, I guess I, my, my main experience is cricket in, in terms of the sporting world. But the thing I always loved about cricket, um, even you know, growing up, was spending time in the change room and, and hearing the different stories and seeing the different characters um, come out. And it's... It's no different in the Aussie team um, or in the professional teams. You love – that's what you love. That's what gets you up in the morning to go and play. Um, seeing everyone who's slightly different um, go about their work. Um, people bring different energy, different humour. Um, as we said, we set, you spend so much time around these guys and playing with each other that it's um, – you've got to enjoy it. You, you can't, um, can't be serious all the time. Yeah, you don't want too many robots. Um... Although being a bit of a metronomic robot might be good, you know, if you, you know, for your forward defence. You know. <laughs> and then uh, Steve Smith's obviously a quirky character as well. There's a few of them. Oh, there is, there is, and it's yeah, that, that's normally a sign of a, a good team is when those kind of guys feel comfortable enough in their own skin to um totally. to express their personalities. But it, oh, it'd be so boring if you didn't have those guys. Yeah, you need them. One of the uh, one of the images I saw of Zampa in that film was um, wearing what looked like a, a 1960s pop shop shirt. Um, I think when you guys went to um, Gallipoli, everyone else, you know, you, you're all sportsmen, you're all wearing the Nike gear, and he's he's getting around in this uh, this great 60s shirt. I thought, wow, what a, he's he's a free spirit that one. Yeah, he is. He actually go. I remember last. Yeah, World Cup in England. He'd go to every vintage shop, every yeah. shop he could find, yeah. find some gems. Uh, good on him. Um, uh, let me read you something else if, if you're not too stressed with time there. Um, some, a quote from Langer as well where he said, the vision for us isn't just to win games of cricket. The most exciting thing is developing great ki- cricketers and great people. And great people means great leaders. So the more we can give the opportunity to these guys, the opportunity to be mentored by great people, the more positive that is for Australian cricket. And I saw that, you know, you, you regularly get Steve Waugh, you regularly get Ricky Ponting, um, people who can give you enormous support as cricketers. Um, I imagine you've got access to everybody, really, as far as sort of motivational speakers and that sort of thing. Do you think it's an important thing to, to get outsiders in to, to really mentor you to be great people as well as great cricketers? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and through those mentors, it's impossible not to learn something. Um, yeah, whether it's cricket related or life related. Um, yeah, Ricky Ponting, Steve, all two of the most well respected um, you know, Australians, really. Um, so 
that's really important. Um, other things, you know, getting out into the community. We try and do quite a bit of community work, especially when we're here on tour in Australia. Um, yeah, meeting fans around games, different ways to get be connected and um, keep perspective and um, yeah, learn about things um, from from other leaders in, in different parts. It's so valuable. Um, yeah, or else we get stuck in the cafe every day talking about cricket, which um, yeah, yeah we, we don't look outward outside our bubble. Yeah, which isn't helpful. Um, let's talk about the bubble. Let's talk about the COVID bubble. Um, so I've got a mate. He's a, he's a first grader with the Tigers rugby league team. And um, I asked him recently, he's been playing NRL for about 10 years. He's represented his country. Uh, and I asked him recently, or a couple of years ago, if he would show my 16-year-old son how to use some of the equipment in the gym because he was expressing an interest in, you know, getting a bit stronger. And this fellow who will remain nameless said, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. Um, and he's a big beefcake, this guy. He's a forward. He said, I couldn't possibly do that. I just do what the trainers tell me to do. You know, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't show your 16-year-old boy how to use a gym. And that surprised me. And it makes me think in relation to uh, the, the lockdown with COVID, how are you and, and other players that you're mates with, how are you all coping with... Uh, managing yourselves during this lockdown time when, when so much of your life is stage managed and, and, and done for you and around you? Yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been yeah, different. We, we've had six months basically where we, we haven't been on the road. Um, for us Aussie cricketers, you're lucky to get a few weeks at home really. Um, so I think that, well, the first stage, it was actually nice just to have a bit of a break um, outside of cricket. Um, really switch off it's it's been flat out the last couple of years so um, that was nice and then it's been we've been quite lucky actually the last three months or so we've been back training with our state teams um, New South Wales doing a pre-season there and um, uh, it does have some restrictions we're in smaller groups um, and, and we can only kind of do every second day um, but it, it's been a good balance between yeah taking control of of our own programs in some ways there's, there's some sessions and some days where it's left up to us to do at home. Um, and yeah, it's, it's good. It, it's, it gives you time to, I guess, reflect and um, yeah, question what you need, um, what, what's effective, what you don't feel is effective. Um, yeah, I've quite enjoyed it actually. <laughs> and a fantastic time for guys whose bodies are under extreme duress like fast bowlers are to probably recover a bit, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I haven't had this time off bowling in years. Um, you only ever really get it if you've, if you've got a really big injury. So um, my, my body feels great. I feel really fresh. Um, yeah, being able to do some strength work and lots of running, which um, when we're on the road, don't really get as much um, chance to do. So, yeah, feeling in a good place. Um, just about ready to start playing. Though. I'm not sure I could do a pre-season every year. It's um, yeah. a lot of hours stuck in the gym. Yeah. Um, and tell me, just finally on that sort of section, is, you know, with travel, you mentioned before that you're on the road 10 or 11 months of the year and you've been doing that on and off for, you know, these last 10 years of your life since you were a young fella. Um, what's the personal impact of that, Pat? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a different way of living um, for, this, for this period of time. Um, you know, I'm, um, yeah, my fiancé will travel a bit um, when she can. Um, families will do the same. You know, the guys in the, in the squad and the coaches in the squad who have kids, it's a bit harder on them um, sometimes 
touring around, but yeah, you just make it work. Um, it's one of those things when you spend so long on the road, you, you wish you were home and then, um, you know, with a bit of normality and some routines, then once you get home, you kind of wish you were back on the road playing, playing games. So yeah, it's just the way of life. You, you, um, yeah, you wouldn't want to change it for the world. It's just the, the price you've got to play to, um, yeah, I guess play international sport. Yeah. So that brings us sort of to the final uh, idea here is, is sort of life after cricket for you. And I know it's, it's premature um, because you, hopefully you've got another good five or six years in you. Who knows? Uh, maybe more. Um, but I know that you've been studying. Have you finished? You were doing a, a Bachelor of Business at UTS, I heard. Are you still doing that or have you completed it? Yeah, I completed that. Um, what was that a couple of years ago? Um, yep. So, yeah, got a, a Bachelor in Business. Um, yeah, done done a few other bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, I don't really have a clear, clad plan that on what I want to do after cricket. Um, yeah, you know, so many different things that that really interest me. So um, I'd like to dip my toes in as many things and learn as many different things as I can. Um, but yeah, you know, I love working in in great teams. Uh, you know, in cricket, we're lucky you get to spend some um, you know a lot of time with with similar like-minded people. So whatever it is um, outside of cricket, um, after cricket, I'm sure it'll be um, surrounded by some, some great, some great people trying to work in teams. Um, just don't know what that looks like yet. Have you had some good inspiration from any particular individuals? Cause I imagine a lot of the guys aren't studying uh, and it's hard to find the time to study. Um, yeah. Have you had some good inspiration from people? Yeah, f- find it anywhere. Um, really, uh, yeah, got some some great um, friends outside of cricket. Um, you know, you get the opportunity to meet a lot of people, yeah, through cricket, but who aren't cricketers um, in the business world. So, yeah, love chatting and finding about their life and and um, yeah, th- there's always so much crossover between business and sport. Um, and yeah, I find it interesting. So, yeah, I, I won't. I don't really. It's not one person that comes to mind, but yeah, I feel lucky to, to meet so many people and yeah, um, yeah it really interests me. So I find myself asking them a million questions and probably chewing their ear off. Yeah. Um, really appreciate your time, Pat. You've been incredibly generous. See Thanks for having me. I love the chat. Well, there you go. Um, Tim, I really enjoyed listening to that, um, as you obviously alluded to, and, and as it comes across in every one of his media um, engagements. You know, he's a very eloquent um, intelligent uh, bloke but what did you really get out of the chat what, what was the thing that really you know stuck with you as a result of chatting with Pat yeah well as you heard in the interview there one of the things that I put to him was this idea uh, that James Kerr talked about you know better men make better all blacks and then also that reference to the the quote from Brian Cook from uh, the Geelong Cats who talks about character first and talent second you know that real emphasis on the character and the qualities of the person and how that really raises the whole standards and the quality of the team and i think you know with the name of our podcast being around leadership you know Mm. he sort of really talked about those attributes being such a a fundamental part to developing really great team culture obviously at a time when the australian cricket the men's cricket team could really, you know, they needed to work on their culture and yep. he's, he's obviously a strong pillar of that. So, yeah, it was great to chat with him. Excellent. Well, if, um, like us, you enjoyed that conversation, then 
there's a fair chance someone you know does. So please feel free to share this as far and as wide as you can. And uh, don't forget to give us a like or give us a comment and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd like to find out a little bit more about the work we do, or perhaps you might have an idea for a guest um, for the podcast or maybe a question that you'd like us to address, then head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page um, there. But until next time, cheers, Tim. Thanks, Tim. And uh, take care. Take it easy. 